It's time. It's time. Time to get in the zone. Time to get in the zone. With the 49ers web zone. This is the No Huddle Podcast with Al, Zane, and Brian. If you hear this voice, if you see this face opening another podcast, that can only mean one thing. That means the San Francisco 49ers are moving on in the playoffs. They have defeated the rival Seattle Seahawks for a third time this year, soundly at Levi Stadium in what we thought was going to be a monsoon, but it turned out to be much wet, much better weather. And we have so much to talk about today. It is another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast on the Odyssey Network. I'm Zane. We got Brian. We got Al, who is playing hurt today under the weather. But thank you guys for, for joining me on a special Sunday post-game wrap. And I, I just am so impressed with how they finished off that game. It was a little shaky there in the first half, but they finished with such a flurry. And that tipping point was the Debo ankle turn. I just, I just, I look at that and I'm like, that was a tipping point, right? But 25 points in the second half, just an absolute thrashing of the Seattle Seahawks, which to me personally is so sweet because I lived up in Seattle for a little bit and had to endure all the crap from them and their fans. So personally, on a personal note, it was fantastic to see. On a team note, also fantastic to see. So let's unpack this. Yeah, Al is uh, Al is not on camera today because he is uh, he has come down with per. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you what, man. I haven't been sick. I wasn't sick for like five years, and this is the third time I've been sick in like six weeks. So I'm playing hurt. Maybe it is pretty fever. I don't know, but if, if I, I'll take being sick if the Niners can keep winning, I'll, I'll take I'll take that sacrifice. I love it. I love the sacrifice. Yeah, this was. Um... You know, this was an, another game where it feels like Brock Purdy faced a test that he hadn't faced yet and once again passed it with with flying colors. And, you know, I, I, I feel like Purdy and the offense is is the story of this game, and, and we're going to get into it. Um, there are some things that we want to talk about on the defensive side as well, but, you know, you said it, Zane, in, 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 our, in our group text and – and it's so it's so it's such a weird experience to be it, I, I liken this now, granted, not in terms of, of seriousness. Right. But I, I liken it to what it felt like living through the pandemic. Right. Like, you know, every day you wake up, you're experiencing something that that will likely never happen again in your lifetime. It is a you know, it is it is history in the making. It is a quite literally a turning point in you know in in human civilization to be perfectly honest right now obviously this is not anywhere near that level but when talking about fandom when talking about being a fan of the san francisco 49ers but or even being a football fan you we are living through a historic run and a historic moment with this seventh round rookie quarterback who has come in and and just absolutely lit the Francisco 49ers world but the NFL world as a whole on fire and it is it's just really fun it's just I haven't had this kind of fun in I don't know how long you know 2019 was fun they were dominant right but there weren't the kind of in a story like this like this story people will be talking about this people will be talking about Brock Purdy and the run that he went on for years if not decades this is you know, I, I listened to um, the Ringer NFL has a uh, the Ringer NFL show has their own feed 
and they do a, a handful of different shows and one of them is called the island and and on that on that show last week uh austin gale is the host and his it's like you take one take and you defend it right you're on an island and his take was brock purdy should be the offensive rookie of the year and and his his main premise was you cannot talk about story of the 2022 and season without talking about Brock Purdy. And that's what he argues makes him the offensive rookie of the year. You're not going to be able to talk about the San Francisco 49ers and the Kyle Shanahan era without talking about what is happening right now with Brock Purdy. And that's, it's just really fun. It's just not anything that I've experienced. Yeah. I think that that's the biggest thing is that this is a, a historic thing that, it just doesn't happen. Like I, I touched on this a few weeks ago and gave like Kurt Warner as an example of somebody who who did this and was able to successfully ride it all the way to the, to a Super Bowl and eventually Hall of Fame career. I'm not saying that Brock will have that same career arc, but what I am saying is that every once in a while in the NFL, this unlikely story comes along. We saw it kind of with Nick Foles taking the Eagles to the Super Bowl and beating Tom Brady, and, and it's just the most unlikely <laughs> thing. But I feel like for, for 49ers fans, the encouraging thing is that this list looks more sustainable. Like this doesn't look like a flash in the pan to me. It looks like a guy who has been there for several years in this offense and just is so comfortable in it that he makes plays. He had two off schedule throws dump offs to the running backs that were wide open for touchdowns. I mean, that's fantastic. The first touchdown to Christian McCaffrey, like it was just, it was a, it was a fake to McCaffrey. He got caught up in the wash, leaked out. And Brock was able to step up in the pocket and easily find him for a touchdown. It's just, he executes the offense with such ease. And I think Brian, the, the three of us were talking about this yesterday. And that to me is the most impressive thing about Brock is that he does everything so effortless, effortlessly. It looks like he's totally in sync with Kyle. Kyle trusts him more than he's trusted any other quarterback that he's had since he's been here. And like, the the most I think the most impressive throw that Purdy had yesterday was I, we could probably all agree with on this was the incompletion Ayuk in the end zone, yeah, just dotted him in the corner, just uh, that's just that's if if he makes that throw that's on NFL films forever, right? That's the, mm -hmm. we're talking about that for a long time. Like you're talking about that like like a Mahomes like throw, and I don't want right. to I don't want to to make rash comparisons here, but like guys like when I look at Brock Purdy he reminds me like of Patrick Mahomes light without the arm, but the, sure. the ability, well, the improvisational to, skills, right? Yeah. The way exactly. he can improvise. Yeah, okay. exactly. The improvisational skills to be able to not be a uh, scrambler uh, to, to get yardage, but to be a scrambler, to open himself up, to throw the ball. And I think there's a big difference there. And I think that's what makes him so successful is that he's not necessarily looking to run the ball to gain yardage. He's looking to extend the play and get open. And Debo mentioned that in the, in the press conference after the game and how, it's fantastic that he does that, but he jokingly said how for the receivers, it's a little bit difficult as well because that means they have to extend their routes and they're running around the entire time as well. So that's just a, a thing that we we see from him that we haven't seen in the past from very many 49 quarterbacks at all is the ability to create behind the time behind the line of scrimmage. <clears throat> yeah, it was interesting. You know, I said to you, Zane, right before we we went live that, that I something on Brock that I'd kind of been formulating and it all stemmed from, an interaction yesterday on Twitter, you know, I, I had tweeted out that Brock Purdy was nine of 18 in the first half and uh, nine of 11 in the second half. And that was it. I just put those, those stats, right. Uh, which speaks to, again, some of what we've been impressed with, with Brock. And then someone, uh, someone commented and said, yeah, he calmed down and played his game. 
And I said, the kid is very impressive. And then another person, and then we went back and forth, was basically like, there's nothing impressive about what he's doing. Like, he's not making difficult throws. The throws, he's throwing to open receivers, blah, 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 blah. And it was this whole argument or this whole thought that I had about this idea of what is impressive when it comes to quarterback play. And, you know, it, the other thing that, that I think is, is interesting is uh, Greg Cassell came out earlier this week and said that he spoke to a former NFL head coach and he didn't name him, but that coach said he sees a lot of Joe Montana in, in Brock Purdy. Now people surmise that it was likely Mike Holmgren as the, as, as, as that name, right. Which would make sense. Holmgren spent a lot of time in San Francisco, spent a lot of time around young and, and Montana. And I was like, man, that's, that's incredible praise. But when you really think about it, right. You, when you think about Joe Montana in the pantheon of great NFL quarterbacks, Joe Montana might be one of the least physically gifted in that group, right? There wasn't really anything about Joe that was physically impressive. He wasn't super tall. He didn't have a rocket arm. He was athletic enough to, to, you know, to get out of the pocket and to extend plays, but he was never a threat in the run game. Like Steve didn't have an arm like Steve. Right. And then you think about Brock Purdy and you're like, Oh, that's very similar. There's really not a whole lot that is physically impressive about Brock Purdy. He's a little short. Um, He has enough arm, but it's, you're not going to, when you talk about great throwers of the football, Brock Purdy's not going to, not going to be mentioned. And he's not throwing balls into tight windows. He's not throwing contested catch balls. He's not doing that, right? And and neither did Joe Montana. But do you know what Joe Montana had and Brock Purdy has as well? Joe Montana had poise, incredible poise. Mm-hmm. And, and and Joe Montana had the the ability to to process quickly and run the offense exactly the way that Bill Walsh wanted it run. And that's exactly what Brock Purdy is doing now. He is processing post-snap better than any quarterback that Kyle Shanahan has had since Matt Ryan. And he has incredible poise. And that poise is not just poise in the pocket. It's poise as a, as just as a, as a, as a 23 year old, the moment is never too big for him. Just like, just like, you know, Joe in, in the Super Bowl against the Bengals when he points out John Candy and right. Like he's unflappable. And, and so that is the part that's impressive to me because kids that age, rookies, seventh round rookies, 200, Mr. Irrelevant, they don't have that kind of poise. They don't have that kind of, uh, you know, like you said, Zane, it looks like he's been in this offense for years. And so that's where I'm like, that is the impressive part. It's not that he's making hard throws. That's not all that there is to quarterbacking. It's making the right throws, making the right decisions, not letting the moment be too big for you. Going into halftime with a 50% completion percentage and coming out of halftime with a nine, almost a 90% completion percentage. Like that is what is impressive. And that's what I've been most impressed with, with Brock Purdy. Well, I think the proof is in what we're seeing on the field with him in the sense that the Niners now have scored 37 or more points in four straight games. They, they did that four times in their previous 52 games. I mean, that in itself is incredible. They scored 30-plus in six out of seven. And can you argue Christian McCaffrey? It's Christian McCaffrey. Sure, he's got a lot to do with it. But 
the difference is the quarterback. McCaffrey was there with Garoppolo too when they still had duds against the Chargers offensively, against the Saints, against the Saints offensively. And the biggest reason why the 49ers don't have one or maybe even two titles right now is because they have not had a passing game in the postseason. It's it's almost been that simple. And if you look at Garoppolo's numbers in the postseason, he was 11 for 19 for a buck 31, 6 for 8 for 77, 20 of 31 for 219. Those are pedestrian numbers. 6 for 25 for one, 16 for 25 for 172. 11 for 19 for 131 and 16 for 30 for 232 yards. He has a total of 962 yards passing in six postseason games with the 49ers. Four touchdown passes for and four total touchdowns and six interceptions. That is 1970s passing numbers. It's horrible. Purdy just in this game, 332, four total touchdowns. It's night and day. Night and day. And that's not, you can say you're bashing Jimmy, not bashing Jimmy. It just is what it is. You have to compare the person currently in the position to the person before if there's a difference in performance and that's what we have right now a difference in performance a difference in the offense it's because the quarterback play is substantially better because of the improvisation because of the poise because of the shots downfield because of the big plays it's a, a night and day offense because of that and it could be the difference with the Niners actually finishing you know, finishing and getting a title this time around stop bashing Jimmy come on what are you doing come on at no I I think so I liken this situation to how uh, when the Warriors in that like in basketball, right? Where where Mark Jackson's last season with the Warriors was, they they made a, a good playoff run, and you know they they made it decently far in the playoffs, but they weren't really able to get get over the hump. And that group had a young Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, without any championships, obviously at that point. They bring in Steve Kerr to the next. They bring in Steve Kerr the next year. He gets them over the hump. And really the difference for that team was coaching, right? It was just one change. They got, got that team over the hump. Could could the Brock Purdy change be the difference here? Possibly. I don't know. But, but the, the real thing to note here is that there's a little bit of context as well through all of that too, right? Where like Jimmy, he didn't perform well in the playoffs. That's, that's, that is a fact, right? That there's no doubting that. He did not perform well. And had he performed better, they probably would have won one or both of those games, right? Or that would have at least contributed to it. But that being said, the roster is so so much different this year than it had been in, in those years where you added a Christian McCaffrey. You have Brandon Ayuk, who's, who wasn't even here in 2019 and has matured beyond his his years this, coming into this year. You have the usage of Debo Samuel diversifying into something that's almost unguardable. You've got Elijah Mitchell, who you could, you could argue that that's a plug-and-play for Raheem Mostert, but I think that this current incarnation of the 49ers is probably Kyle's best team. And even when, even before Purdy was starting, when Jimmy was playing, he had been playing his best ball of his career up until that point, up until the injury. Right. And I think it's, it's a function of what's around him and, and the function of the offense and a function of the playmakers that they have now. Right. Christian McCaffrey had another phenomenal game, another fantastic game. And mm-hmm. you brought him in here for games like this. And he was, he was again, uh, a, a safety outlet for Purdy and he was a, a huge factor in the running game and he was the difference maker that they hoped he would be so when you add an all-world player like that it changes everything and, and there's no surprise that they they've gone undefeated since McCaffrey's been here and that is to me is the biggest x factor here even more so than Brock Purdy is is and, and I'm look I'm just as big a Brock Purdy stand as anybody I'm number uh, whatever it is behind Bro- Captain Brian Rennick on the that was 69 I'm number 69 
uh, nice behind Brock, <laughs> Brian, <laughs> Brian Rennick on the Brock Purdy hype train. But that being said, I would argue that Christian McCaffrey has been the most impactful addition in the entire NFL uh, since since the time that he got here. Oh yeah, he might he might just make me rethink the never pay running back stance that I have. He just makes that much of a difference. It's incredible. I can't believe it. I never knew he was this good. I mean, you know, he was a good player. I know he put up good numbers, but he's a transcendent player, McCaffrey, and what he's done for this team. You know, since he, like you said, his, well, since he's, I guess they lost the Kansas City game, but that was his first. He was with the team for a whole three days. But after that, yeah, they haven't <laughs> right. lost, and it's it's allowed everybody else to kind of fall into their roles. And it's just, it's insane. He's He's been a transcendent player. And I was one of those guys where, like, you never pay a running back. I would pay Christian McCaffrey. I really yep. would. I, I, there's a few select guys that I think fall into that category, but watching him week in and week out, you know, you talk about like when you watch a baseball team every day, Aaron judge is a good example of it. People think he hits home runs, but if you watch him every day, he does everything right. He's a good defender. He runs the bases. He's just a really, really good baseball player. He kind of makes out a lot better. He does strike out a lot. That's the one thing in his game that, you know, but if you watch, that's why the giants didn't want him. (laughs) Yeah. That was the reason. That was the reason. Um, But McCaffrey is like that. He just does little things. And I thought even maybe more impressive than his 66 yard run was he had maybe, it was like a 10 yard run where he just, it looked like he was going to get one and he just kind of makes a cut inside and runs tough and and ends up getting 10 yards. He's, he's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. He's a, he's a safety valve. He's a calming presence. I I just, I can't say enough good things about the guy. He's the one again, sort of running back that I I could think in a really long time where you could say, yeah, he's, he could have been the MVP if he was the whole year with the Niners. I tweeted out that Brock Purdy now has as many tons as Jimmy Garoppolo had as, uh, as in his entire postseason career. And there were multiple people saying like, don't bash Jimmy, which I actually thought was pretty interesting because all I did was tweet out a fact. Like I didn't, yeah, I didn't put a judgment in it. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say anything negative about it. I simply pointed out that fact. And the reason being is because I think it is always important to look at context. Right. And This is the third time that the 49ers have been in the playoff with Kyle Shanahan as head coach and Zane used his best team. And I'm not going to disagree, but far and away, this is his best offense. And I think that is uniquely different about this of the 49ers and their chances in the playoffs versus 2009 and 2021 at you could argue the offense carried the defense on Saturday, right? Now, the defense only gave up 23. They gave up 17 in the first half, and then they gave up a cheap six towards the end of the game, right? They almost they almost kept that NC-17 uh, status in this game, uh, but they did give up that, that touchdown towards the end. But I think it's important to, to look at it and go, this offense is so dynamically better than either of those offenses in 2019 and, and 2021 that going I in 2021, if you would have said, Hey, you're going to make it Super Bowl, but you're going to have to face the bills or the chiefs or hell, even the Bengals. I'd have been like, Ooh, they was earlier in the season, but the Bengals offense, the Bengals offense, you know, had gotten better uh up to that point mm-hmm. um and i would have been like oof that's tough i don't know 
uh, if the defense isn't going to be able to play like they had been in the playoffs, I, I don't know that we win that game. I, I don't, I don't know that there's a there's a team in the postseason that the 49ers can't match up with blow for blow at this point. And that I think where it is wholly different than any other experience that we've had as a fan base, at least in the Kyle Shanahan era. And so while I understand pointing out Jimmy only had four total touchdowns and Brock had four in one game may seem like I'm trying to say, see Brock is better than Jimmy. And I wasn't, I was really trying to point out that Brock this offense is in such a different stratosphere than those others that I think it's important to understand that because, and we set it up at, at, at the top of the show, this defense it doesn't look as formidable as it did earlier this season. But the nice thing is that it doesn't have to be for this team to win in the postseason, And that I think is the most important development. I think, uh, first of all, stop bashing Jimmy Bryant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the thing to remember is and just in general, in the NFL, as, as the season goes on, offenses at the beginning of the season defenses are ahead of the offenses right that's typically how it goes because offenses haven't had much time together they don't play in the preseason all that stuff right takes time to get rhythm at the end of the year it flips and the offenses are the ones that are rolling because they've had a full season together and and they've been able to expose defensive tendencies and things like that they've had a full year of film on defenses so typically you see that with most teams that the defense typically drops off around playoff time and sometimes the drop off is dramatic and the same exact thing happened in 2019 where the defense dropped off a little bit it was mostly because of injuries because at that time, like it was Tart and Quan Alexander and several other players were, had, were nursing injuries. Several of the key players were nursing injuries and they had to somewhat, the offense had to somewhat carry the load for a few games there. Uh, the Saints game being the, the kind of crescendo in that, that series. But yeah. right now, when, as we kind of go into the, the recap of this game, I was a little bit worried. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit worried at the end of that first half. And the the offense, you could tell that that the first part of the game, the, the weather was bothering Brock. Like it, he wasn't able to throw the ball in the first drive. And I was like, you know, he's been throwing with gloves on in practice. Why don't we get get let's get him the gloves. Right. And that's something that he he alluded to in his press conference as well when he when he was asked about it. And he mentioned that the first the first few throws got away from him just because of the wet weather. And that's totally fine. And, and a lot of people don't realize that. And you see the pundits saying, oh, well, he had a shaky, shaky first half. Well, I mean, not really. If it was dry weather, I, I, I would bet on him making those throws, right? Because he he found he made the right read. He just had trouble getting the ball to the receiver because of wet ball. If, it was, if he was throwing it constantly to other people, like, for example, if he had a Trevor Lawrence first half, then I would have been really <laughs> worried, right? right? But he had he had a much better first half than his than his numbers indicated. And I think that a lot of people were misled by just a, a couple of throws. So I was a little bit concerned with how the defense played uh, just because they gave up a couple of big plays that the long touchdown Mooney Ward had his, I would say this was easily his worst game as a 49er and oh, yeah. it's not a big deal because they won, but it's kind of concerning because it came in at a really bad time. And the other thing was that Jimmy Ward at the end of the Wards had a really tough day yesterday, basically right <laughs> overall. Jimmy Ward at the end of the first half, uh, I, I didn't agree with the squib kick to kick that for the as for the kickoff, just kick it deep, kick it out of the end zone. And then once they got the ball at like the 38 yard line, I was like, well, they have all three timeouts, like nine seconds left, right? Yeah. Geno Smith runs, Jimmy Ward inexplicably 
takes a, a stupid ru- roughing penalty or unnecessary roughness penalty when Geno just slides, puts him in the field grain, Myers, Myers hits the 56-yarder, and then all of a sudden the momentum that you had in getting the go-ahead field goal on the previous drive is gone. And at that point, I was kind of worried. And I don't know, yeah. how, how did you guys feel at that point? Yeah, I, I definitely was. And that was one of the dumber plays that I've seen for Jimmy Ward. I, I don't yeah. know what he was thinking. And then you go in to halftime down instead of with the lead. And obviously it didn't matter. They came back and played well. But the defense has me, yeah, has me nervous right now because it, you look at the final score and you're like, oh, well, they cruised. Well, they were down by, Niners were up by six about halfway through the third quarter and the Seahawks were driving in Niners territory. And then a Menehu gets the, gets the strip Bosa recovers the fumble and, and kind of the rest is history. But where I get the most nervous with this is I think they've given up over hundred yards rushing in two of their last three games. Now um, Devonte Adams abused them and DK Metcalf did too in this past game. So do I get a little worried with possibly Justin Jefferson? Maybe let's see what happens in this game. And we're recording as the Vikings and giants are playing. Do I get a little worried with that? Do AJ Brown and Devonte Smith worry me? Yeah. That, that kind of worries me because, Brian, you said, yeah, they can score with this, these teams now. But when you do have issues on the defensive side, a turnover here, a fluky play there, and the game can turn very easily. Now, they did turn it around. They did have some big plays, but they definitely don't look like the unstoppable force they were in the middle of the season. So that has me a little bit nervous. And we're going to see if they can turn it around. They certainly have the talent. But, you know, Bosa was kind of – he was neutralized yesterday, I thought. Um, he didn't really do much of anything. So the secondary is an issue. Game, it was Bosa's first game this year without a pressure. Oh, he didn't have one pressure really the whole game. Wow. One pressure. Wow. Yeah. And I think it's his first playoff game without a sack too, honestly. Mm-hmm. So he just, yeah, he just didn't. So that, that definitely has me worried a little bit. And I think we're, we're being naive or kind of turning a blind, blind eye to it. If we, if we say it's not, that's something that we'll see as they move forward, if they could bounce back, but I'm, I'm, Def, again, big picture, I want to win a Super Bowl. So in terms of winning a Super Bowl, I'm, I'm a little bit worried. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Obviously, they've had three of their worst performances in the last three weeks, right? Um, which is not ideal you know, going into the postseason and then the first game of the postseason. Uh, but the other thing is... It, we talked about it. You know, it is difficult to beat a team three times. And if you, you know, if you, as an offensive staff, if you are seeing a defense for the third time, you're going to have some, some wrinkles, right? You're going to have some, some things that, that you're going to try and get them on. And, and it seemed pretty evident to me that they went into this game saying Nick Bosa is not going to be the reason that we lose this game. And they seem to neutralize him pretty well, but you saw what happened once you got Bosa neutralized. And then you've got Charles Amenu, who I believe had five pressures in this game and had the one sack should have had two. Um, and so sure. Yeah. The focus guy and you're the other, the other three are, are, are good enough to get home. And so um, I, it, it's, it's concerning, but I, uh, again, I'm not, I, I'm not going to hit the panic button yet. Uh, they still only gave up 23 points to a, a, a playoff team. Right. I mean, that's, let's, let's stop. Let's stop, uh, you know, let, let's stop parsing our words here. This is a playoff team and this was the playoffs and they still only gave up 23 um, and they scored 41. So, um, you know, and then uh, you got to the point where now we can have, uh, you know, we can have uh, cartoons like uh, like this one from uh, Dave Rapoccio, who is uh, at draw play Dave. 
uh, and you've got Kyle Shanahan uh, disrespectfully okay. dunking on the gum chomping Seattle Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll. And if you cannot see that, uh, the sweatshirt that uh, that Kyle Shanahan is wearing says Bosa Deeb's nuts. So <laughs> uh, I saw that uh, yesterday and I was like, oh, I got to get that on the show because that's that's phenomenal. But, you know, the the defense again, you know, th- I don't know that you can sustain the kind of play that they that they had, uh, especially you know, before these last three games, they were historically good, right? You know, how many shutouts did they have, including uh, against the the Cardinals last week, they added to their total. So, um, you know, and I guess I said the last three weeks, they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't play, they didn't play terribly against, uh, against Arizona. Uh, somebody actually commented, uh, and I'm glad that they did, uh, said Kyle was bumping uh, Seahawks play. Uh, in the scrum and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna share my screen again because i actually have this up uh and i wanted to touch on it you know you said earlier uh zane that you've or or maybe it was al one of you said that that the turning point of the game was when uh when debo got his his ankle twisted and what i loved to see was uh when that happened kyle shanahan uh ended up uh out on the field uh in the midst of uh, of the Seattle Seahawks players, and hopefully this will come through. But you see him here; he's in the scrum, like he's in with the Seattle players. He's like, I don't, I don't care for trying to hurt my my all world wide receiver. I'm coming to let you know that is that is unacceptable. And I love seeing that from the head coach. and And I agree that that it, it did seem to kind of knock the entire team out of their uh, their that that tight play that they had in the first half. Uh, but I still feel like the point of the game really was that Amenahu strip sack, which, you know, Seattle was on their way to possibly scoring another touchdown to go up 24, 23. They yeah. get the strip sack, they go down and score. And all of a sudden it's 31 to uh, what? 31, 17. And, and Ooh. the route is on. So as much as, as much as people want to the, you know, the, that play being the the turning point, if you will, uh, the twisting of Debo's ankle. I really do think it's still a Menahu sack that go uh, unnoticed, and so um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's concerning. But again, they made big plays when they needed to. Strip sack, uh, interception by by Diamador Lenore. Shout out to Lenore, who you know had a, had quite a few people kind of questioning whether he should be on the field or not. And for him to have the game that he did against, against Seattle, I think was big for him as well. The 49ers had, I believe, uh, eight drives, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, sorry, 10 drives. They had 10 drives yesterday. They scored on eight of them. The other two drives, a punt and the kneel down to end the game. I mean, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's, that's unbelievable. And, that to and me, they probably didn't play that well. <laughs> they were yeah, a little shaky, you know what I mean? They were yeah. a little shaky, like they weren't even hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, absolutely. They they weren't hitting on, on all cylinders. And you know, Brock missed a couple of open guys at the beginning, and Ayuk dropped the touchdown, and the defense, you know, had a couple of lapses as well. It, it could have been it could have been worse and for the Seahawks. And I think that all the concerns that we have about the defense, first of all, I, I, before getting getting to that, 
uh, to address your point about Kyle being in the scrum. I don't know if you guys remember, but in, um, and we're old enough to remember because we're old farts, but remember in uh, the 90, the 94 playoffs the when they played the bears and uh, Steve Young had a, had a quarterback keeper uh, up the middle for a touchdown and he got hit. Uh, I think Sean Gale hit him in the end zone and he had, he was like clearly in the end zone and like popped him. And right away the goat comes up and like, he's ready to fight. It's not like, Hey, don't do that. It's like, Hey, we're fighting. And there's like 10 guys, 10, like oh, the entire yeah. team gets in there and they're, and they're that, that kind of was what reminded me of, of what happened yesterday where it's not like, Hey, don't do that. It's like, Hey, we're fighting and we're fighting right yeah. now. Brandon Ayuk was the one that like initiated that just like Jerry Rice. And, uh, I think Brandon Ayuk, we can start calling Brandon Ayuk the smoke monster because he wants all the smoke. Because Brandon Ayuk, if you remember, in camp was also the one that tried to fight Fred Warner after Warner gave a pop to one of the uh, like practice squad wide receivers. It wasn't even one of the guys that was going to make the team. So uh, I love it, Zane. That's a great, uh, a great comparison. Yeah, and Ayuk yeah, made that big block on that Debo touchdown run too. You know, he's yeah. doing the little things yesterday as well. And I wanted to say about Debo really quick. He didn't have a great season. We talked about it. He had some injuries, numbers-wise anyway. He didn't have too many prolific games. Well, he did in the in this game, and he came up huge. Six catches for a buck 33, had the 74-yard touchdown catch, three carries for 32 yards. And that's kind of starting to be a theme for him in the playoffs. You know, in the NFC Championship game, he has, uh, what was it, 98 total yards and, and a big touchdown in that game. In the wild card last year, he had 72 yards rushing and a touchdown, um, three catches for 38 yards in that game. He's starting to... to be someone you can rely on to be a clutch player in the playoffs. And it was good. I thought that they definitely needed him to get going again, and it looks like he did. So I wanted to give Debo a shout, and I thought we had to say something about him for sure on the show because he, he did step up so much. I think yeah, the most so – I was say, I think the most impressive thing on that on that touchdown catch that he had, uh, I have it on, on my timeline. I'm sure you can find it anywhere. But go back and watch that. You can literally see – Debo shift gears at the opposite 40 yard line and pull away from everybody. It's like, like I said, go watch it. And, and it, I'm not, it's not hyperbole. It's not any, it's, you can literally see him go into another gear and, and it almost looks like another mile or two and an hour faster, right? Where he just pulls away from me and it's, and it's done. And it was, I mean, the 49ers are just full of guys that when you get the ball in their hand, any one of them can house it. And 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 it's no other offense in the NFL has that capability like the 49ers do. And that's what makes them so incredibly dangerous. Yeah, and that not was, even house, house it. Sorry, Zane. There, there were three or four plays I can think of off the top of my head where you're talking second and 12, third and eight, whatever it was. And they catch a five-yard pass, and I was like, "Oh shit!" You know, they got, and then they just make a move, and they're five more yards down the field for the first down. Kittle did it once. Debo did it a couple of times. McCaffrey seems like he constantly does it, and just little things like that too that keep the chains moving. The whole offense is is like a cheat code, and it looks like it's it's finally finally starting to hit what we all hoped it could. Yeah, and I think that when we look at the, the embarrassment of riches that they have on offense. It, it could be any number of guys that, that beat you. Kid only had two, two receptions yesterday, but both of them were important. But that being said, McCaffrey also only had two receptions as well. And, and it goes to your point Al, where they, they probably could have had more and they probably could have done more. It's just, I, I really feel like this is one of those things that makes it so hard to defend them. And 
this is going to be one of those things going forward as we move forward in the playoffs that teams are going to have troubles, trouble matching up with because you don't know who it's going to be. All right, cool. They want to bracket McCaffrey, take him away. All right, Debo's going to kill you. All right, D- you want to take away Debo, double him. All right, Ayuk's going to kill you. You want to take that away, Kittle's there. And if, if you have a quarterback who's putting the ball where it needs to be, all of that works, right? Because if, if, it were, if it were somebody else that was not able to get it to the open guy or make the proper read, then, then we'd have an issue, right? Like Jimmy struggled with this a lot, right? Where they would take somebody away and he just wouldn't be able to find another option. That's the difference to me between those two guys is that there are certain things that Brock does that, that Jimmy didn't do that held Jimmy back when he was, when he was starting here. And I think that that's allowed Kyle to really open up the offense. And, and this is really what we've been hoping for all along when, when Kyle got here is, is to see this type of offense. He didn't have necessarily all of the pieces that he has now, but this is what we were hoping for in terms of production, in terms of point production. So they finally had that going. This is a team that nobody wants to play, right? Like this is we're, we're watching. I don't know the score of the, uh, the, the Giants of Vikings team right now. The 24, 24 right now. All. Perfect. Yeah. I want a triple overtime game. I want lots of minutes <laughs> on those bodies. And I want Minnesota to come here to Levi's to play the 49ers. I think that's, that's the easiest matchup for the Niners offense as we look forward to potentially a divisional round matchup and the Vikings have the, the 31st ranked defense in the league. So second to last, and they're awful on that side of the ball. And the 49ers now have an offense that can exploit that because in the past you go up in that against that matchup and, and you say, well, so-and-so team has the 32nd ranked defense in the league. Well, the offense could never exploit it because they can never put up points. That's the difference this year is that the offense will be able to exploit it. So to me, you've got, you've got your choice of here, obviously. You've got Minnesota, Dallas, or Tampa Bay. You're going to play one of those three teams next next weekend. We don't know. I'm not sure if it's going to be Saturday or Sunday. We haven't decided yet. But I, I, I choose Minnesota. I'm sorry? I think it depends on the game. It depends, like on the the game, game right? it depends on the opponent. Yeah. So I'm going to say, you know, I want Minnesota, right? Justin Jefferson scares the hell out of me. But that's the matchup I want because of that Minnesota defense. I, I as well want Minnesota to win this game uh, for two reasons. Uh, again, I want to host the NFC Championship game. That's what I want, personally. That's what I And so, to me, the two teams that I think have the best shot of beating Philly in Philly in the divisional round are Dallas and or Tampa Bay. Uh, I don't think that this Giants team can do it, although the Giants team, barely lost to Philadelphia last week in week 18 and they were playing the majority of their backups. So maybe science of what it takes. Um, but ideally my, my hope is again, that, that the, uh, that, that the, the Vikings win and then whoever the Phillies play or the, the Phillies, whoever Philly plays in the divisional round comes out with a dub because that means that then the NFC championship game, will be in Santa Clara. But here's the thing that I think is interesting. Um I I don't I don't want Dallas or Tampa Bay to beat Philly because I don't want to play them. I just want to host the NFC Championship game. I honestly I am not concerned with any team that remains in the NFC when it comes to the 49ers as an opponent. But do you know who is concerned? Do you know who is scared? It's Eagles fans. Eagles yep. fans are already tweeting about the 49ers. Mm-hmm. And that is the only way that they're going to face them is in a potential NFC championship game, which is still two weeks away. And yet 
Eagles fans are already tweeting about it. And so I, uh, I, I poked the bear a little bit and I said, Eagles fans tweeting about the 49ers a full two weeks prior to a potential NFC championship game tells you everything you need to know about how they're feeling. And then I included a gif of uh, Ralph Wiggum's wetting his pants. Uh, I that's that, episode. What, that was so good. That is what they are doing. <laughs> and I love it. I love it because it means that we're already in their head. They're terrified. They are genuinely terrified. And I love every second of it. Guys, before we get out of here, I, I got to talk about. So, I mean, I passed out because I was having like I was in chills and I couldn't keep my eyes open. Because you have pretty fever. I had pretty fever. And like it was halftime of the Chargers game. And the Jags scored right before the half. And I said to myself, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. I don't know if they're going to win, but they're going to come back. But I felt mm-hmm. so awful. I went to bed. Then I got up and sure enough, they came back. And Trevor Lawrence has four picks in the first half. The Jags had five turnovers and still come back to beat the Chargers team. Brandon Staley, the only way that I could justify any of this in like reality is that the football God said, we are not going to waste another year of Justin Herbert's career on Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi. And mm-hmm. this happened. And I hope for the Chargers sake and for Justin Herbert's sake and the NFL's sake that Staley gets fired and they get Sean Payton or whoever else and just get a really good head coach in there. And you can see the best of Justin Herbert because Brandon Staley, I think is, is a joke. I don't think he's a good head coach at all. Um, I don't like that. He played his starters so much last week and then Mike Williams gets hurt and everything else. So I felt like it was kind of justice from the football gods yesterday saying okay enough is enough get a, get a real coach in here and hopefully the chargers ownership listens if it weren't for and if you're a the jag- jaguars oh, and, go ahead yeah if go it weren't for that jaguars and chargers game brock purdy would be the number one star in the nfl right now that didn't happen and that happened and al like you i i thought to myself because as a fan i think the best thing as a fan of a team that's already moved on to the next round, you're the first game you've moved on and you're just like, you're chilling the rest of the weekend, right? You're hanging out. You're just watching football. It's fun, right? Like it doesn't matter at that point. And I was just hanging out. I was, I was watching a game with my dad and, and, you know, I, I turned to him and I said, you know, if they can double up scores here, like the old Madden double up that the Niners are, are so good at with Kyle Shanahan, if they can double up here, they'll have a chance. And that's exactly what happened. They scored right before the half. They scored at, after the end, after the beginning of the, the second half. And I was like, all right, it's a ball game now. They, this is doable. And the, the Chargers won the turnover differential battle five nothing, and they lost. They were plus five, and they lost the game. I just I I cannot I cannot fathom how it must feel to be a Chargers fan right now. I feel for them because I like that team. I have nothing against the Chargers, and I want them to succeed because I like Justin Herbert. But they are they are torpedoed season after season after season because of piss poor coaching and that's exactly what happened again and that's something that we've seen it twice this year right minnesota came back in the regular season against indianapolis to to uh, that historic comeback to win the game we've seen it now once in the playoffs it's just i'm glad that the niners put the game away really early so we didn't have to see it come back like that by the way i, I believe now i'm not sure any of these two teams is going to cover right now that the vikings are giants so i think the niners are the only team to cover right this this week uh in, in the playoffs so that's that's pretty impressive too for what's worth yeah. Uh, shout out to my buddy, John, who is a Chargers fan. Uh, I sent him a virtual hug uh, last night after that game and uh, also said, hey, look on the bright side. Now you're, now you're going to get Sean Payton as your head coach. So we'll see. Uh, th- then I remembered, oh, wait, never mind. The Spanos family still owns the Chargers. They are notoriously cheap. I'm not sure that they're willing to spend the kind of money they need to for Sean Payton, willing to pay 
Brandon Staley while also hiring a new coach. I genuinely think Brandon Staley might be back. I don't know that Joe Love will. And if he is, I think we should file charges against uh, the the Chargers because what he's doing to Justin Herbert, like you said, Al, is criminal. Um, there's zero reason why an offense with Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler and Justin Herbert should score three points in the second half against mm-hmm. a, a decent Jags defense, but not a world-beating Jags defense. Um, if you go up 27 nothing on a team, you should be able to close that team out, and they weren't, and that is on uh, the play callers, and that is on the coaching staff. So we'll see what they did there. Uh, at last thing before we head on out of here, shout-out to Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins coaching staff. They went up into Buffalo with QB3, just like his mentor, Kyle Shanahan, just, you know, not quite the level of uh, level of Brock Purdy, Skylar Thompson, uh, went down 17 to nothing early and still only lost that game 34 to 31. Hell of a coaching job. I hope Dolphins fans uh, are uh, feel good about about their future with Mike McDaniel leading them. Uh, I, I think they need a quarterback. I think personally, I think Tua should probably retire uh, just for his long term health in general. Uh, but even outside of that, I think despite, despite his play, um, they got exposed a little bit once they played the 49ers. And I think if McDaniel can get, uh, personally, here's, here's my ideal scenario for the, for the dolphins. I think they need, I think if they got Derek Carr, I think they're really good next year. And so, um, I hope Mac, Mike McDaniel comes back. Steven Ross is kind of an idiot, so you never know. Um, but Hey, shout out to my guy, Mike McDaniel, uh, for a great season. And uh, uh, my my favorite team in the AFC, uh, I'll be I'll be rooting for you guys from afar next season. So Giants just scored. They went up 31-24, uh, about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. So as of this recording, uh, we'll see. It's a dogfight in Minnesota, so we'll see. Also, more Paul Heyman. More Paul Heyman to introduce Brock Purdy as his, as his hype man. That's fantastic. Also, also Paul Heyman tweeted at me. So, uh, I'll, yeah, I did. He uh, quote I'll, tweeted you. He quote tweeted me. He he did. That, that's yes, fantastic. Sir. I, I woke up, saw Love that. It. I was like, I'm feeling good today, man. Paul Heyman, <laughs> uh, we, we, we the ones, right? So, uh, and by the way, Roman Reigns, the tribal chief, is a noted 49ers fan. It'd be fantastic. We should get Roman Reigns oh, on the show, right? Let's go. Let's get go. The hey, chief on the show. he's That'd in content fantastic. right there. Roman Reigns <laughs> on the No Huddle podcast. Let's do it. There All right, Brian, send us off, buddy. All right, Al, you got anything to, uh, before we head on out of here? I got nothing. I'm going to go lay down. That's All right. Hey, make sure, uh, make sure you drink, to get out of me. Yeah, drink lots of water. And then I heard that the best thing for Purdy Fever is just a little bit of rest and then be ready to go for, for next weekend. So uh, if Let's you go, haven't baby. already, if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to this YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button. Little alert. We do go live. We try and do it twice a week. We have two shows that we put out every week on Odyssey. Uh, for those of you who are listening, Please make sure if you haven't already subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts, rate and review. Uh, We will be back on Wednesday to preview the matchup against the 49ers and hopefully uh, the Minnesota Vikings. But until then, for Zane Nackvi and Al Sacco, I'm Brian Rennick, and this is Odyssey's No Huddle Podcast. Later. Minnesota three. One, two, three.
2400 Sports is an Odyssey company.